0: This program is not available on 8-track tape.
1: Welcome to Rapidly Rotating Records, an hour of toe-tapping music from rapidly rotating 78 RPM records of the 1920s and 30s with yours truly, Glenn Robison. We've got dance bands, hot bands, sweet bands, show tunes, novelty tunes, blues, jazz, and more... On everything from Aeolian to Xenophone, and by everyone from Aaronson to Zerke. On this week's show, we'll be celebrating two birthdays, those of William H. Middleton and Harry Armstrong. We'll hear about some Arabellas, have a couple of tongue twisters, and with Labor Day tomorrow, have some songs about work. Last week, September 3rd, marked the birth in 1873 in Kent, England, of George Arnold Haynes Sophrony Middleton. Doesn't ring a bell? It should, because back on the April 5th show, I played his composition, The Phantom Brigade, written under his pseudonym, William H. Middleton. As a reminder, Middleton was a British composer, author, poet, and amateur astronomer who studied violin with Pablo de Sarasate and traveled the world as a violin virtuoso and conductor. Among his publications were the novel Gabriel of the Lagoon, a Romance of the South Seas, and collection of sea themed poems under the name A. Sophrony Middleton. He composed light orchestral music for symphonic and brass bands and music for military bands, his most famous march being Imperial Echoes. William H. Middleton died November 7, 1950, and is buried at West Norwood Cemetery in London. Here are three more from William H. Middleton. Thank <laughs> you. a 1938 HMV recording by the band of the Royal Air Force, conducted by squadron leader R. P. O'Donnell, of William H. Middleton's most famous march, Imperial Echoes. Middleton wrote it under the name Arnold Sofroni, and it was published in 1913 by Boozy and Hawks of London as a solo piano work. It didn't become Middleton's most well-known work until considerably later, when in 1940, It was used to introduce and close the BBC's daily news program, Radio Newsreel, broadcast domestically on the Home Service and the Overseas Service, later the BBC World Service. In 1960, Auntie Beeb thought it would be a good idea to replace that recording with a more recent version by an army band, but there was such an uproar that it was reinstated and used until the program went off the air in 1988. Middleton wrote other marches under the name Arnold Saffroni, such as Imperial March Chimes, by Imperial Command, and Call of the Empire. It's hard to believe that the same person who wrote those wrote the tune which preceded Imperial Echoes by the Swanee River, described as an American sketch with the subtitle A Coon's Dream of the Future. It was recorded by at least seven bands in England, and several here in the U.S., including Arthur Pryor's band, on October 18, 1904, in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, issued on 12-inch Victor 78's 31385 and 35054. We started the set with a record sounding very much like a cartoon soundtrack. That was a Columbia house band credited as the Casino Orchestra and an unidentified male trio in 1931, with Middleton's American sketch, Down South, from British Columbia 78, DB-992. It was written in 1901 as a serious semi-concert piece. The sheet music depicts black children in a big boot dance, cakewalk, minstrel performance, and sand dance which are reproduced in the music. If not specifically written to accompany silent films, Down South has certainly been heard in lots of films, including Universal's 1929 super talking picture, Showboat, Disney's Silly Symphonies, and Al Jolson's 1930 picture, Big Boy. I'm Glenn Robison, and you're listening to Rapidly Rotating Records, bringing you vintage music to which you can't not tap your toes from rapidly rotating 78 RPM records of the 1920s and 30s. Back on August 23rd, I played Sweet Elaine, composed by Harry Armstrong, and said I would try to put together a segment for him. Now, I've tried to do my homework, but I'm going to ask listener and recovering barbershop singer Neil in New York City to be my fact-checker for this segment. Henry Worthington Armstrong, better known as Harry, was born July 22, 1879, in Somerville, Massachusetts, to Henry W. Armstrong, who had emigrated from Ireland, and the former Elizabeth Stewart, better known as Lizzie, of Boston. Armstrong became a professional boxer while in his teens, but loved music and wrote his first song in between appearances in The Ring. In 1896, he wrote a tune titled My Old New England Home and tried unsuccessfully to sell it to Boston Publishers. Giving up boxing, he moved to New York, took a job playing piano at Coney Island, then landed a position with M. Whitmark and Sons. While there, he met lyricist Richard H. Girard, who in 1899 wrote a set of lyrics, and the song was retitled You're the Flower of My Heart, Sweet Rosalie. The pair took it to multiple Tin Pan Alley publishers, who all turned it down, until finally Howley, Haviland, and Dresser took it, but without an advance. Howley didn't do anything with the song, so Armstrong asked them to return the manuscript, which they were only too happy to do. After two years, Whitmark agreed to publish the song, if Armstrong and Gerard would give it a new title. They were inspired by a poster advertising the farewell tour of opera singer Adelina Patti to change the title to You're the Flower of My Heart, Sweet Adeline. A perfect rhyme for the line, At night, dear heart, for you I pine. The song still didn't sell well until 1904, when the vaudeville quartet The Quaker City Four performed it at the Hammerstein Theater and it became a hit. Henry W. Armstrong became better known as Harry through a printer's error. When Whitmark published the first 100,000 copies of Sweet Adeline, even though he was working for them, they incorrectly credited Harry Armstrong instead of Henry Armstrong. It was corrected on later editions, but the name Harry stuck. Sometime before 1924, Armstrong left Whitmark to become a booking agent, and from 1937 to 1949 was a partner at United Entertainment Producers with offices on Broadway. He became a member of ASCAP in 1929 and in 1946 was one of the founders of the SPEBQSA, the Society for the Preservation and Encouragement of Barbershop Quartet Singing in America. Harry Armstrong died February 28, 1951, in Manhattan and is buried at Woodlawn Cemetery in the Bronx. He wrote more than a hundred songs, including What's the Use of Living If You Can't Love All the Time, The Frisco Rag, When You Have Time and Money, and these.
2: Can't You See I'm Lonely, sung by Miss Ada Jones. It is from record
3: I'm dreaming, Nellie Dean, dreaming of your bright eyes gleaming, Nellie Dean, as they used to fondly glow when we sat there long ago, listening to the waters flow, Nellie Dean. an old mill by the stream, Nellie Dean, where we used to sit and dream. I will now sing you one of my earliest successes, when I first started my stage career, 38 years ago, in my native country, Australia. Came a wee maiden, climbing my knees. Tell me a story, do, Uncle, please. Tell. tell tales about giants or elves in the dell nay I will tell you something that's true why I've 'er never yet had children like you one A sweetheart My all in all But I thought her faithless After the ball After the ball was over After the break of morn After the dancers leaving After the stars were gone Many a heart was aching If we could read them all Many the hopes that were shattered After the fall
0: your heart.
1: I played it by Tempo King last year, and there's a swinging 1938 OK recording by Artie Shaw, but I played that close-harmony version of Sweet Adeline specifically for listener Neil. The Golden Gate Jubilee Quartet, recording in Charlotte, North Carolina, on January 24, 1938, from Bluebird 7676, also issued on the Montgomery Ward label, for sale in their dime stores. A couple more notes about the song. American musicologist Dr. Sigmund Spaeth called it the old faithful of all harmonic geysers. Even though he was a founding member of the Society for the Preservation and Encouragement of Barbershop Quartet Singing in America, the group banned the song from its 1950 convention in Omaha, Nebraska for its alleged alcohol background. And Richard Girard, who wrote the words, quit songwriting in 1910, and was employed by the post office for the rest of his working life. The Golden Gate Jubilee Quartet was formed in 1934, and incredibly is still active to this day. Of course, with different members from the original tenors William Langford and Henry Owens, baritone Willie Johnson and bass Orlandis Wilson. They started out singing in churches and over WIS in Columbia, South Carolina, switching to WBT, Charlotte, North Carolina in 1937, and lending a recording contract with Bluebird. Their first session on August 4, 1937, produced a remarkable 14 issued sides, and even more remarkable, so did their second on January 24, 1938, in which they recorded Sweet Adeline. Before Sweet Adeline, we heard Armstrong's other big hit, the sentimental ballad Nellie Dean, published in 1905 by Whitmark. In 1907, it became British Music Hall singer Gertie Gatana's signature tune, and I have her recording of it, but frankly I find her a bit strident. So you heard Australian Music Hall performer Flora May Augusta Flanagan, better known professionally as Florrie Ford, and her July 1935 recording on the British Rex label, coupled with After the Ball. We started our tribute to Harry Armstrong with Ada Jones, singing Felix Feist's words to Can't You See I'm Lonely, from Edison Gold Molded Cylinder Record, number 9158, from 1905. Another one of Harry Armstrong's compositions is Arabella, I couldn't find a recording of that, but I do have some other rapidly rotating records about Arabella.
4: Do Arabella Arabella I come you do me like you do you left me grieving as you were leaving Arabella Arabella I come you do me like you do Arabella Arabella when you come in You come in home. Makes you so mean Arabella Arabella What makes you so mean I'm hot And bothered And I'm wet and worried I'll get another Mama in you Only Arabella Arabella On the judgment day Arabella Arabella, on the judgment day, I'll fly with the angels, you cry with the sinners. Arabella, Arabella, what made you go away?
1: know Ted Lewis isn't everyone's cup of tea, but he's one of my favorites, as is that record, Say Arabella, composed by Ted Fiorito. Even though that's an instrumental, lyricist Gus Kahn gets credit on the label of Columbia 416, recorded June 23, 1925. Remarkably, on that very same day, over in the Victor Studios, George Olson and his music were recording a vocal version. And here's Billy Murray with the words. Before Ted Lewis, we heard Jimmy Davis, before he was governor of Louisiana with his composition, Arabella Blues, recorded November 29, 1930, in Memphis, Tennessee, on Victor 23517. If that sounded like a lot of guitar, it's because there were two, played by Ed Schaefer and Oscar Woods. Here in the U.S. in the 20s and 30s, there were four Broadway reviews titled Blackbirds, all produced by Lou Leslie, the most popular, Blackbirds of 1928. Lou Leslie's Blackbirds of 1926 was exported to London, where it was produced by theatrical manager and impresario Charles B. Cochran. It opened at the London Pavilion on September 11, 1926, featuring Florence Mills, who had been a smashing success in London in 1923 with her theme song, I'm a little blackbird looking for a bluebird. You had 279 chances to catch blackbirds, and many of the tunes from the show were recorded commercially, including the one that started the segment, Arabella's Wedding Day, written by George W. Meyer. It was performed by an all-black jazz group called the Plantation Orchestra on December 1, 1926, issued on British Columbia 4238. I'm Glenn Robison, and the show is Rapidly Rotating Records. We're here each and every Sunday evening at 6 on Island Radio, FM 88.7, KISL Avalon, and KISLAvalon.com. This and all our previous shows are also available 24-7, on demand, anytime at all, online at RapidlyRotatingRecords.com. And we're on all the major podcast directories. According to the Guinness Book of World Records, the toughest tongue-twister is The Sixth Sick Shakes Sixth Sheep's Sick. And you have no idea how many attempts at that sentence were edited out of this show. Peter and his Pickled Peppers first appeared in print in 1813 in John Harris's Peter Piper's Practical Principles of Plain and Perfect Pronunciation. How Much Wood Would a Woodchuck Chuck chuck If a Woodchuck Could Chuck Wood was the chorus of a number Vaudevillian Faye Templeton sang in 1903 in the Broadway musical The Runaways. She Sells Seashells is a 1908 song by Terry Sullivan and Harry Gifford from the show Dick Whittington and His Cat. And then there are these.
5: Come from looking round the hosiery shop For the noisiest socks I could find Spots up the front clocks up the side Zigzags and squirms up behind The kinds that I'd seen Well, my modesty shocked You'll never keep tracks On the family of socks And I set for myself This most difficult task When I entered the shop And I modestly asked uh, does this shop stop shut ducks with butts? Does this shop stop shut ducks with butts? Shut socks with butts, give my wife shocks. So does this shop stop shut ducks with butts? I seen blue socks and red ones, some black ones shot green, some split flannelette ones in white and a mixture of oilcloth and pink crepe de chine, with a special insertion for night. A fine yellow hue with a little black speck that reach to the elbow and tie round the neck. And I felt quite upset at this terrible task, as I spluttered and stammered and nervously asked, Er, does this job suck, shuttle suck with fun? Does this shop suck, shot-socks with butts? shot sucks with butts? Give my way, shocks. so does this shop suck- No, you can't do it. You can't do it twice. The first time is comparatively easy, but you're bound to fall the second. You can't help it, you can't help it. Not a bit like it. What do you, what do you you mean by, a Swiss evidently, a Swiss? What do you mean by rushing in here, very much overdressed? I'm saying not a bit like it. I don't know who you are. I don't want to know you. Do you know the chorus for this song? Why, it's easy. Oh, I didn't know that. I've been standing here with the perspiration pouring down my vertebrae and the veins sticking out of my forehead. I didn't know that. Perhaps you wouldn't mind obliging me by helping me with this last stanza, will you? I'll bet you five to four you can't do it. Tell them. One, two, three. Does
6: this shop pop, shop with fun? Does this shop Shots, shots,
5: shots with pots. Shots, shots, with pot. Give my wife stop So does this. Shots, 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 with pots. Well, of course, from the age of one till five, the child was fed on fish exclusively, absolutely. I'm very much obliged to you, very much obliged. Would you kindly take my hand, and we'll try it together. Hold my hand now, then we get the current, that's it. Now, help me over that last hurdle. When it comes, shop shop with fun, it's difficult. Makes the mouth blushy, doesn't it? One, two, three, syncopated time. Does this shop shop, shop 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 with fun? Does this shop-shop-shop-shop with fun? Shop-shop with fun, give my wife shout. So does this shop-shop-shop-shop with fun? Thank you very much, very much, thank you.
7: Sister Susie sewing in the kitchen on a singer. There's miles and miles of flannel on the floor and up the stairs. Poor father says it's rotten, getting mixed up with the cotton, and sitting on the needles that he leaves upon the chairs. And when you knock at our front door, my whispers come inside. And when you ask where Susie is, she'll say with loving pride. Sister Susie sewing shirts for soldiers. Such skill at sewing shirts are shy, young Sister Susie shows. Some soldiers send epistles, say they sooner sleep on pistols. Than the saucy soft short shirt for soldiers, Sister Susie saws. Sister Susie sewing shirts for soldiers. Such at sewing shirts are shy young Sister Susie Joes. Some soldiers send these pistols, say they'd sooner sleep on pistols. Than the saucy soft short shirt for soldiers, Sister Susie saws. Lots and lots and lots of shirts she sends out to the soldiers, and sailors won't be jealous when they see them, not at all. And when we say her stitching will set all the soldiers itching, she says our soldiers fight best when their back's against the wall. And little brother Gussie, he who lives when he says yes, Says, where's the cotton gone from off my sight? Oh, I can guess. Sister Susie sewing search for
1: soldiers.
7: Such skill at sewing search Our shy young sister Susie go Some soldiers send it pistols, say they sooner sleep on pistols. Then the saucy, soft short church for soldiers, Sister Susie souls. Now, everybody. Sister Susie sewing church for soldiers. Good. 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 still, a sewing church are our, our young, Sister Susie. It isn't Sister Susie. So you're getting it all wrong and loving. For for the last line. The saucy, soft short church for soldiers,
2: Sister Good. Susie saws.
1: Well, I certainly hope you were singing along there at the end of Sister Susie's Sewing Shirts for Soldiers. I've played it twice by Al Jolson on June 5, 2005 and July 12, 2009, and just in case you missed those shows, you can go to the website, rapidlyrotatingrecords.com, to stream them online and or download. Sister Susie was also recorded by Billy Murray, and there were a couple of instrumental versions, but we heard it by Vaudevillian Jack Norworth in London in December of 1915. Sister Susie was composed by Herman Derewski with the words by R.P. Weston. There was quite a craze for tongue twisters in British Music Hall in the early 1900s, and we started off with English comic actor George Graves being heard for the first time on the show, asking, Does this shop stock shot socks with spots? That's from 12 inch HMV 78C 542. I don't have a recording date, but the song was written in 1912 by Herbert Depina, and the record is listed in the June 1913 HMV Records Catalog. Herbert Depina was born New Year's Day, 1883, in Brisbane, Queensland, Australia. He had a medical degree from Cambridge and opened a hospital in Queensland, but claimed he made more money as a composer. He died on New Year's Day, 1936. Tomorrow is Labor Day here in the U.S. It was born out of the labor movement of the late 19th century at the height of the Industrial Revolution, and after protests, strikes, violence, and death... Congress attempted to repair relations with American workers by passing Senate Bill S-730, marking Labor Day as a legal holiday, which President Grover Cleveland signed into law on June 28, 1894. This year, there won't be many picnics, parties, and parades, but I hope you're having a pleasant Labor Day weekend and are mindful of the history behind the holiday. I'm fortunate not to have to work tomorrow, and I hope you don't either. The Carter family definitely ain't going to work tomorrow, and they may not even work next week.
0: My hard work and thrift There's lots of us fighting and striving For a seat in the White House, you see But if I had a seat in my trousers And a missus to work for me I don't work for a living I get along all right without i don't toil all day i suppose it's because i'm not built that way some people work for love and say it's all sunshine and game but if i can't get sunshine without any work i think i'll stay out in the rain Now give me a nail and a hammer And a picture to hang on the wall And give me a strong stepladder You know that I might fall And give me a couple of waiters And a barrel of good old bass ale And I'll bet I'll be hang up that picture If somebody drives the nail I don't work for a living I get along all right without I just spend my time Oh, I sleep when I like And the world is mine I work in my own way Now just keep this under your hat I keep trying to borrow some money from friends. Oh, no, work is harder than that. I don't work for a living. I get along all right without. I live peacefully. Labor disputes never worry me. I love my old hometown. The folks down there I just adore, I decided to make them all happy, that's why I never go home
2: anymore. Well, sir, along last winter, a fella come to Punkin' Center and said he was a walking delegate for union labor. He said everything was union now in order to be successful, and he quoted the United States as an example. While we held a meeting down at the schoolhouse and we had a lot of speaking on the subject, Jim Lawson was chairman. Jim said he used to be a union man. He worked for the Union Pacific. (laughs) Well, sir, we organized a lot of unions, and everybody joined except me. I thought I'd wait a spell and see how it was going to work. Mother said I joined every fool thing that come along. Well, we have more labor unions now than you can shake a stick at Wow. When it comes springtime, I had to hire a lot of help to work on the farm. I had more trouble than a Democrat at a Republican rally. <laughs> I hired one fellow and started him to plowing, and he plowed a fur across the field and stopped. I asked him why he didn't turn around and plow back, and he said it wasn't his job to turn the horse around. That was the job of the horse turn his union. So I had to hire another fella to turn the horse around. Well, when it come dinner time, none of them would come to dinner. I went out and asked them why they didn't unhitch the horse and come in to dinner, and they said it won't their job to unhitch the horse. That was the job of the horse unhitcher's union. <laughs> (laughs) Well, they got to the barn and none of them would feed them. They said that was the job of the feeder union. So I come to the conclusion if I was going to get anything done, I'd have to do it myself. So I went out to take in some hay, what the haymaker union had left after they worked what they called eight hours and that walking delegate come along told me I couldn't take in that hay, I wasn't a member of the union. (laughs) Well I asked him how long would it take to become a member of the union and he said Two weeks. Well, I told him it looked like rain, and I was afraid my hay would spile, and I'd have to get it in. Well, after the first fork pull, every darn one of them went on a strike and called me a scab and wouldn't let me work on my own farm. <laughs> well, I've got a rifle and a double-barrel shotgun and two bulldogs now, and they don't none of them belong to the union. If that walking deli.
1: Cal Stewart recorded his monologue, Uncle Josh and the Labor Unions, at least five times. First in 1906 for Victor, three times in 1907 for Columbia, Xenophone and Leiden catlin and again for Columbia on June 18, 1919, which is the record we just heard. Before Cal Stewart, it was Hobo Jack Turner with I Don't Work for a Living, recorded November 25, 1929, with both takes one and two issued on Harmony 1070. You probably remember that there wasn't really a Hobo Jack Turner. It was a pseudonym for Ernest Hare. I Don't Work for a Living was written by the songwriting team of James J. Mullen and Edward Lee. I couldn't find anything else they wrote, but they were both members of the Four Provinces Orchestra, with Mullen the vocalist and Lee on piano. James Joseph Mullen was born February 16, 1887, in Philadelphia, and made a number of Irish-themed recordings in the 20s, including I Don't Work for a Living, but I Don't Have a Copy of It. Mullen sold insurance for his day job and was billed as the Singing Insurance Man. He was also the High Chief Ranger for the USA of the Irish Benevolent Society, the Irish National Foresters. We started off with the Carter family, Sarah Carter on auto-harp, Carter on guitar with both of them, and A.P. Carter vocalizing on I Ain't Gonna Work Tomorrow. That was recorded May 10, 1928 and issued on Victor 21517 and, like the Golden Gate Jubilee Quartet, also on the Montgomery Ward label. I'm Glenn Robison, and I'm very pleased that you've chosen to spend this past hour with me listening to Rapidly Rotating Records. I hope you'll click in or tune in again next week, and as always, I thank you for your very kind attention.